I. I wrote this message as an act of worship, dedicated, devoted to our awesome dad and the best big brother imaginable. Every word has been selected for their honor in mind and your edification. So now I am about to read this to you in Jesus' name. Now you can join me by engaging with your mind and your heart and, and make this reading an act of worship on your part as well. Do you want to do that? If so, here we go. Worship is agreeing with God that nothing else matters but what he wants for the world. Now, I will try to describe to you what God wants for the world, and if you find yourself agreeing that nothing else matters, boom, we will be worshiping together. Now, since Jesus is God's son, his very word showing us what he wants for the world, we will look to him. And we'll look in two passages. Uh, later on, we'll be looking in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. But right now, we're going to be looking at Jesus through Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, Jesus knew that the person did not really understand how difficult the journey would be, so Jesus encouraged the person to reconsider whether or not the hardship would be worth it. He said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And it was true. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and he had sent messengers on ahead of the group to make arrangements for them to spend the night in one of the villages. Well, it was a Samaritan village. And from the Jewish perspective, Samaritans were not like that fictional good one that Jesus extolled later on on that same trip. They refused to give Jesus hospitality. You see, people back then had serious religious and racial issues. Two of the Lord's followers, James and John, were furious. They wanted the Samaritans to be burned alive. Now, just pause on that for a second. James and John had been living with Jesus the Prince of Peace, for over two and a half years, and they wanted to call down fire from heaven to make the Samaritans extra crispy. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that they did not yet understand Jesus' loving mission. Jesus' mission was not just to the Jews and Samaritans. The range of his mission includes all ethno-linguistic peoples. That is why 
in this verse, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. He was reminding us of Daniel. Remember Daniel in the Old Testament? He was reminding us of his vision back then. In this vision, four wild beasts arise from the chaotic sea, representing all the violent principalities and powers of the world. Then, the Ancient of Days sits on his throne, pure in righteousness, perfect in wisdom, and awesome in power. Then something very much better than the beast comes, not from the chaotic sea, but from the clouds of the ordered heavens, a son of man. This intelligent human being represents the kingdom of heaven. Somewhere in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, it says he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshiped him. Wow. Jesus is that son of man, and that is the range of his mission. And nothing else matters. Nothing else matters because nothing else works. We humans try to be happy on our own without God. We end up with alcohol and drug addictions, poverty, riots, war, pornography, racism, anxiety, and general disorientation in the pursuit of happiness out of bounds. C.S. Lewis's socio-theological commentary is spot on when he says, quote, God designed the human machine to run on himself. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. This is the key to history. Terrific energy is expended. Civilizations are built up. Excellent institutions devised. But each time something goes wrong, some fatal flaw always brings the selfish and cruel people to the top, and it all slides back into misery and ruin. In fact, the machine conks. It seems to start up all right and runs a few yards, and then it breaks down. They are trying to run it on the wrong juice. End quote. So, let's run it on the right juice. The juice on which Jesus ran. And here's just one example. While in Samaria, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus was homeless as a result of having deliberately put himself and his disciples into a vulnerable situation where they might experience racism. This racism cut both ways. 
If you were there, you would have heard one of Jesus' followers make something like this complaint to you. We could have avoided this whole situation had the master listened to me. Yesterday, I asked him, why don't we just go around Samaria like everyone else? Even if we were welcome to spend the night in one of those Samaritan villages, there would be no spot clean enough in one of their hovels on which to lay my little left toe. And what did he say to that? Jesus just smiled and said that he, at least, is going through Samaria. I'm telling you, James, it's as if it's as if he likes them. The disciple, this disciple, was just barely beginning to understand something important. Jesus does like Samaritans. <laughs> In fact, representing God, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for their sake and for the sake of the Jews, and for people of all colors, all genders, all social classes, and those holding every ideology imaginable. God, working through Jesus, did something there in Jerusalem that is so utterly awesome, so beautiful beyond bounds, so profoundly praiseworthy, and so super satisfying that ardent adorers will be from every segment of human society crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation from sin through the atoning death of Jesus Christ, bringing about our reconciliation with God, is a marvelous accomplishment with which we are already familiar. <laughs> Less familiar, however, is the psychological motivation provided by the cross of Christ for peace between socially diverse peoples entrenched in mutual hostility. I am about to explain how Jesus deals with hostility resulting from any sin, but I will use examples from current events that have captured the attention of our nation. Perhaps you will understand more of what God wants for the world and agree that nothing else matters and worship him with me as I explain the justice of Jesus on the cross. Real peace between hostile groups can never come about without justice. A cessation of violence may come periodically for various reasons, but hostility will remain and be manifested in other forms so long as justice has not been satisfied in the minds of the group members. Even if hostile groups make a negotiating table, you know, they, they get to the table, even if they hammer out a peace deal, and even if the deal is honored, the hostility continues because the memories of the injustices remain 
in their famished dignities. It is impossible for these groups to bring every wrong act to a satisfying justice. And as a result, genuine peace is a human impossibility. It's a psychological impossibility. It is precisely here in the realm of psychological motivation that Jesus gives a peace that is beyond every, anything the world has to offer. What peace can the Hennepin County Court give to Rodney Floyd after he watched videos of his brother's death? What that court, that court at its very best cannot give the murderer, Derek Chauvin, the precise punishment he deserves. And no human authority can bring George Floyd back to life even if it wanted to do so. Where justice falls short, peace falls short. And where peace falls short, alas, hostility must remain. Hostility must remain in Rodney Floyd's soul until he comes to understand the dignity of the divine image residing in his brother and that that dignity is acknowledged by God in the sufferings of Christ at the cross. And that acknowledgement took nothing less than the fullness of deity in bodily form, morally pure, of ultimate value, perfectly willing and mortal to be crucified as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. In other words, the hostility in Rodney will melt away once he understands that God loves Derek Chauvin, his brother's murderer, and that Jesus died for Derek's sin as well. Jesus' death met the legal obligation of God's commandment against murder. Now Derek's hostility will evaporate once he understands the same truth. The Son of God died and so made up for all the badness of the people he hates. A down payment of justice is already available for those who ask God for it and become his people. All that remains is for God to bring the dead back to life in the new era and wipe every tear from our eyes, which is precisely that for which those of us who have become subjects of the kingdom are waiting. Here is what matters. This fact. Rodney and Derek 
may be reconciled to God and to each other. I didn't just make that up. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news for the whole world. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16, where the Apostle Paul talks about two different kinds of groups, Jews and Gentiles, who have become believers. And here's how he put it. You can read it along with me. I'll read it slowly. For he himself is our peace. The one who removed the barrier out of the way, the hostility. And he made the two groups one, having met by his flesh the legal obligation of the commandments contained in ordinances. His purpose was to create in himself one new person out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put the death, their hostility. Here is the application. With whom are you hostile? There is that arrogant ex or in-law or ex-in-law who yada, 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 and yada, 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 but the straw that broke the camel's back is when he yada, yada, yada. For whom do you have feelings of hostility? There is that jerk at work who yada, 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 and then that son of a beachcomber yada, 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 as if it were all your fault. Who has hurt you? A down payment of justice is already in your hands the next time you celebrate the Lord's Supper. Celebrate not only what Jesus accomplished for you, but how he met the obligation of God's commandment for every sin committed against you and then you will be worshiping and nothing else matters.